This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. My brother um, shared a devotion in chapel at City of Refuge Monday morning, and I thought I would share it with you, part of it anyway, and then I did a little more research on the story. Picked up a few more details to give away. So we want to put a word up on the screen that you likely have not heard of before. And the word is Ubuntu. Everybody say Ubuntu. Has anybody ever heard of that word? Okay. So here's the story. Comes from a nation in Africa, I don't really know which nation, but it's an African nation, and kids were at school one day, and the teacher decided he was going to teach them a lesson on the survival of the fittest, how the biggest, strongest, fastest, most powerful are the ones who win, and the ones who get the most, and the ones who ultimately, in the end, will survive. So he took his class outside, and he... uh, He stood by a tree and he told the class, the students, to go about 50 yards out from the tree and to line up in a straight line across. And then he pulled out a beautiful basket of beautiful, delicious fruits and he sat it down at the base of the tree. And he said, okay, so I'm going to count down three, two, one, go. And when I say go, I want you to take off and run the first one to get to the tree and to touch the tree is going to get the basket of fruits. It'll be all yours. So they're lined up in a line, and of course you've got kids who are smaller and bigger and all different varieties. And right before he started counting, the biggest, strongest, fastest boy asked the teacher, said, can I say something to the rest of the kids before we go? And he said, yes. So he huddled them up and he spoke to them for a minute, and they they lined back up. And so the teacher counted down three, two, one, and right before he said go, the students reached over and grabbed each other by the hand on both sides until they made a line as one. And he shouted go, and they all took off running together. They all reached the tree at exactly the same time and all put their hands on the tree at the same time. And so the teacher looked at them and said, you, you didn't do it right. That's not the way it goes. You were not supposed to join up. You were supposed to do this as individuals. And he looked at the boy who had led the charge and said, don't you know that you could have won this? You're the biggest, strongest, fastest. You could have gotten this entire basket for yourself. And the boy looked at him, and his response was, Ubuntu, because the English translation of Ubuntu is, I am because we are. I am because we are. And so the student ended up teaching the teacher a lesson, which was, we're not concerned about being the best individually. We're not concerned about winning just for me. 
We're not concerned about just getting it all for myself. We care about each other. We're a family. We are a community. And if we're going to take on a challenge, if we're going to face obstacles, if we're going to deal with the world, we're going to do it together because we are one. So at City of Refuge in Atlanta, we have a slogan, which, which is, we are C-O-R. We are City of Refuge. So Bruce, my brother, is the founder. He is the CEO, the president and CEO of City of Refuge. But nobody says, we are Bruce Deal. He doesn't say, I am Bruce Deal. This exists because of me. We do what we do because of me, and ultimately, I'm going to be the one who's going to win the prize. I'm going to be the one who gets the rewards. He is in the spotlight more than anybody. He, his name is called more than anybody else, but that's from the outside. That's not from the inside. The heart of the inside is we are C-O-R. We are C-O-R. I am only because we are. That's the only way it can work in the kingdom. So last week we opened up the subject of two kingdoms that exist. Now, you've got a few kingdoms left in terms of government around the world, only a few. That's, that concept of government is pretty well passed. In the United Kingdom, you still have a queen you have her successor, which is her son, who will become king when she's gone. But that's, they're only figureheads at this point. They do not run the government of the United Kingdom. The government is run by the parliament, which is made up of elected parliamentarians and is overseen by a prime minister. That's the government of the country. But we, weirdly enough, oddly enough, have a fascination with royalty, that I absolutely do not understand. It escapes my mind altogether. The fascination, the time, the energy, the conversation that Americans, and I think it's around the world too, have with the British royal family. I'll tell you where I stand on all that. I would love to be able to stand in the line at Walmart or Ingalls or wherever that they have magazine racks at the checkout stands and see magazines that had something to do with the kingdom of God, that had something to do with Jesus the Messiah, that had something to do with truth and revelation, that had something to do with his glory and his honor and his power, instead of some royal baby that I've never seen and never will, will see, and frankly, don't care how many diapers they went through today. I just, okay, let me move on. You have the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which actually is ruled by a king. So you have that here and there, but it's pretty much a bygone concept of government. So that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, spiritually speaking, in the earth, there are two kingdoms. If you don't understand this, you're going to have a hard time dealing with anything else that has anything to do with the concept of God or spirituality. You must know 
that there are two kingdoms at work in the earth. The first is the kingdom of God. And when you say the kingdom of God, you've pretty much said what it involves. It has God as its foundation. It has God as its center. Everything that has anything to do with the kingdom of God is about God. It is about His rule. It's about His creation. It's about His power. It's about His authority. It's about His governorship, and it's about the fact that Jesus Christ is his son whom he sent to earth to pay the price so that we could be free from sin. That's the kingdom of God. It is alive and well. Listen, sometimes if you look around, if you pay a lot of attention to the news, if you absorb yourself in the entertainment industry, you can easily become confused and feel like that the kingdom of God has been suppressed to the point that maybe it's not really even there anymore. That's a lie. That's an absolute falsehood. The kingdom of God is here. It is alive. It is vibrant. It is active. It is moving and breathing. It is an organism that is in the earth. The other kingdom is the kingdom of the world. These are spiritual kingdoms. When I say the world, I'm not talking about planet Earth. That's why I say Earth when I'm talking about the big ball we live on and world when I'm talking about spiritual kingdoms that exist here in the Earth. The world is a mentality. The world is a spirit. The world is a way of thinking, a way of operating, a way of making decisions. And these two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, stand in stark contrast to each other, and there is a constant war going on between those two kingdoms. You have to decide which kingdom you're going to live in. You hearing me? You have to decide, am I going to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, or am I going to be a citizen of the kingdom of this world? Two important things to note about that. If you refuse to make a decision, you have made your decision. I don't think there's any explanation needed behind that statement, right? Secondly, If you are choosing to try to live in both, you're really only living in one. I don't think any explanation is needed behind that statement either. You have to decide, I am going to be a kingdom son or a kingdom daughter in the kingdom of God, part of his family, or I'm going to be a son or a daughter of this world. We could talk all day long, and maybe we need to do a Saturday seminar that goes all day to talk about the characteristics that align with each one of those because it's not about what you say. It's not about your verbal declaration. It's not about saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, 
And that automatically makes it true that you are a kingdom son or kingdom daughter. It's not about your voice. It's about your life. It's about your lifestyle. It's about which voices you choose to listen to. It's about what you choose to fill up your mind, to fill up your heart with. You're going to have a hard time convincing me or anybody else who's truly walking in the kingdom that you are a true kingdom son or daughter if you are constantly filling up yourself with garbage that comes from the kingdom of the world. It's a message we try to get through to young people all the time. You know, I go to church, I'm a Christian. I'm in a youth group, and they pop into earbuds, and the most vile and profane and ridiculous material that you could ever imagine would have been put out for public consumption, they're pumping it into their brains all the time. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. You have to choose, and your lifestyle has to validate and back up your choice. So, the most glaringly obvious to me literal human contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world that I could find in the New Testament is the contrast between Jesus Christ and a man named Herod. So, these are two kings. One is the king of the kingdom of God. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. The other is a king of this world. And one arrives on the planet just as the other is leaving. So it was right around the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem that King Herod was dying. He may have died just a little bit before. He may have died a little bit after. Either way, it was right at the same time. And you have this illustration right in front of you because here's what Herod's kingdom looked like. He was the king and everything was about him. So everything that was done ultimately was done for his benefit. He gained enormous wealth. He had enormous power, enormous decision-making ability. He really had free reign to do whatever he wanted to do during his kingship in the world. Herod built palaces all over the place. Every Listen, here's how you know how much of an individualist this man was. Every, I think he had 11 palaces in Palestine. Every single one of them was bigger than any palace that the Caesars ever had in Rome. That tells you about the egotism and the arrogance of this man. What on earth do you do with 11 palaces? You can't live in 11 palaces. You can move around, but what kind of life is that? He was just trying to prove a point. I am somebody. Survival of the fittest. I'm the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the wealthiest, and I'm going to prove it, and I can do what I want to do. 
He killed more people than you could number, including members of his own family. He killed three of his own sons. One of the Caesars made the statement, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son because there's a greater chance you're going to survive if you're his pig because he don't eat pork. He had 10 or 11 wives, and he had one who was his favorite. Every time he would go off on an excursion, if he went to Rome or if he went wherever, he would tell his custodian, his, the soldier that was always with him, if I do not make it back, I want you to kill her because I don't want anybody to have her but me. That never happened. He always made it back, but ultimately later in his life, he just went ahead and killed her anyway. This is the kind of person you're talking about. You say, well, Jeff, that's pretty extreme. I mean, I don't think that's what you know, say. Listen, this en encapsulates the spirit of the world. Herod may be dead, but the spirit of Herod is all around us. The spirit of meism, of individualism, of wanting to gain wealth and power and notoriety and fame and money. It's everywhere. Watch the advertising on television. Watch movies. Watch television. Listen to the radio. And everybody is pushing and pumping that it's all about you. You need to do the best you can do for you. You need to promote yourself. Herod, when he was getting up in age and he knew that his death would be coming before too long, had them build what they call the Herodium. He wanted it to be the tallest mountain in the region. There's a good-sized mountain right over here. That wasn't good enough for him. He had them start moving and excavating dirt until they had built this big hill, bigger than any hill that you could see. And on the pinnacle, on the very top of that hill, they built this big structure, this gorgeous Roman architecture called the Herodium, and that was where he was buried. And what are you going to do there once you're dead? Right? How about we contrast that while he's dying and building himself an enormous monument to himself on his way out? Why don't we contrast that over here? The Son of God is coming into this world. The King of the kingdom of God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The most impactful human being to ever draw breath on this planet is arriving here. And do you know where he arrived? They call it a stable. They call it a lot, a lot of different things. It was probably a little cave in the hillside where animals went in to get out of the weather with a feed trough there where they could get their hay and their feed. Nothing fancy, no heat, no air conditioning, no Persian rugs on the floor, no gorgeous chandelier torches, just dirt floor, animals, 
a manger. The only visitors were some shepherds doing the lowliest of jobs out in the country. And a little later on, some theology students from afar came to check him out. And since then, they've built this church over top of the spot where they say Jesus was born. I haven't been there. I think Miss Faye's been there. They describe it as sort of a, just this awkward structure that really, I don't know. I, I mean, like I say, I haven't seen it. But does it align with the arrival of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Maybe not in the sense our natural minds would think. And you know what Jesus did from then on? He avoided the palaces. He avoided the big ritzy places with ritzy company. He avoided flash and flare and he had no interest in fame. He had no interest in stardom. He had no interest in money. You got Herod over here who had lived in 11 different palaces that are innately decorated and furnished and the best of everything you possibly have. And you have Jesus over here saying the Son of Man doesn't even have his own bed to lay down in at night. He has to sleep in borrowed space. Jesus was so concerned and so caught up with what Herod, who Herod was and what he was doing. I say that with a lot of sarcasm. That he did not give him time of day. He mentioned his name once in passing. Uh, and one other time he referred to him as that fox. That's the disdain he had for that kind of mentality and that kind of way of life. It's just not what it's about. It's not about I am. It's about I am because we are. And Jesus, by the way, was the great I am. But when you hear him say I am, it's always followed up by something, right? I am the way the truth, and the life. That's a statement that's given away to you and me, not just embraced in here just for himself. I am the bread of life. That is a statement of hope and promise to you and me that we have somewhere we can go to find the spiritual truth that we need to be overcomers. He, he makes I am declarations so that we know He is God. But the I am declarations always include something that we can grab a hold of to make us part of the we are movement of the kingdom. I am and we are. It's all about community. So today, what does the way look like? as it stands in contrast to the way of the world. You have the way of the kingdom still going on. You have the way of the world still going on. Well, it looks like individualism versus community. Individualism is the way of the world and community is the way of the kingdom. So I said earlier that I really appreciate and am proud of you all as a family and as a community for the way you respond 
to people who are suffering, suffering and struggling and who have needs in their lives. That is the spirit of the kingdom of the way. That is the spirit of the kingdom of God is to live in community, to function with a mentality that's broader than just me or just my own, but to always be looking and listening and, and attentive to and sensitive to the needs of other people in the community. It's about criticism versus understanding. We could spend some time there. Don't have time to spend but a minute. The, the critical spirit is deadly. And some of us have it. And some of us deal with it a lot. And I have to be transparent with you and tell you that I'm better than I used to be. But I have dealt with a critical spirit in my life. And a critical spirit will automatically go to, and it connects very closely with one that's on down, across on the other side, judgment versus compassion. Of Rather than taking time to get to know somebody and to become familiar with the details of their situation. Rather than taking the time to jump into the messiness of their lives, to get into the ditch with them and to deal with the blood and the snot and the tears that are going on with them, that we just pass by like the priest and the holy man passing by on the road while the person who'd been robbed and left bloodied and left and robbed and left for dead is lying in the ditch and pointing at him and saying, something's wrong with him or he wouldn't be in that ditch. Why don't he just get up and get a job? Who did he steal from that got mad and beat him up? That's why he's there. And automatically we go to criticism and we go to judgment when we really don't know why the person is behaving the way they're behaving or why they're in the situation they're in. I've said this before a while back. Maybe you weren't here. Oftentimes we need to give consideration to the fact that the same symptoms, that the symptoms are the same for laziness and depression. So before you walk by and look at a homeless person or a person with a sign up begging some money on the side of the street or somebody who's calling up wanting help, before your mind automatically goes to, why don't they just get a job? Why don't they just do for themselves? Maybe we should dig in a little bit. Maybe we should find out some details. Maybe we should evaluate and find out if it's depression instead of laziness. If it's anxiety instead of just begging off of somebody else. Oh, it's quiet in here. Power versus meekness. We're not having any trouble believing that the spirit of the world is still around, are we? And that it stands in contrast to the spirit of the kingdom of God. Power versus meekness. If you're going to 
read and pay attention to Jesus' first statements during his public ministry, known as the Beatitudes in the fifth chapter of Matthew, you'll find out that meekness is one of the things that he considers to be most important in our lives. Meekness. But how, gentleness, but how often do we find it in this world? Meekness. You know, we need to be okay sometimes with losing the argument. We need to be okay sometimes, even if we're right. You know, I let Tracy win a lot of arguments when I'm right, but I'm just going to be me. You can let her have it. Power is the spirit of the world. Meekness is the spirit of Jesus. How about greed and generosity? Greed and generosity, I don't know. Um, the spirit of the world says get what you can get. Build bigger barns. Build a bigger savings account. Move up and up and up in your houses as you get older. And I'm not criticizing people who have a decent life and are able to, to move into a bigger house as their family grows, as they have more money. It's not really about the, the, the exact details of all of that. It's about what's in the heart. It's about what's in the mind. It's about whether or not we are building, building bigger barns at the expense of being able to bless the poor. Arrogance versus humility. You spend a little time, again, evaluating the news, the entertainment industry, what's being pumped into our brains and into our minds all the time. And you won't find humility there very often because humility comes out of the heart of Christ. It's a characteristic of the spirit of the kingdom. Ignorance versus respond. I chose that word respond because of Matt and Jesse's organization, Respond 5-8, that went out to help people, bless people who've suffered loss recently because of natural disaster. It's not the first time they've done it. This is going to become a lifestyle for them. We can choose ignorance. We can say, well, I really don't know how to deal with that. I, don't, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know, you know, uh, I'll tell you what you can do. You can connect yourself with people who do know what to do, who have experience with it and who are doing it. You can write checks to organizations that are doing it. You can contribute donations of supplies to organizations that are doing it. And by all means... We can show up and put our shoulder to the plow and work. That is a response that stands in contrast to just acting like we don't know what to do. And really, it's not about the size of the job. You know, Matt said something to me this morning. He said, rather than, forget the exact wording he used, but rather than being able to just do a little bit for 20 families, we'd, we, we'd like to change life. 
bring transformation for one family. So there's always one family that needs us, right? There's a, I, know, I know we get overwhelmed because the natural disasters these days just follow one after the other. What are you going to do with all that? The earthquake and the tornadoes and the hurricanes and the wildfires and the floods. What are we going to do with all that? What we're going to do is we're going to pay attention to the needs around us and we're going to target one or two or three and make a difference for them. That's called community. Conflict versus peace. Pretty self-explanatory. Anxiety versus joy. Sometimes joy is something you have to choose. You have to act like you are feeling it when you're not feeling it. And if we keep acting like it, we are probably going to start feeling it. Scripture says make a joyful noise. It didn't say wait on your joy to show up and then express yourself out of that feeling you have. No, it says... Make a joyful noise, a noise that sounds like you're joyful. And if you keep making that noise, you're going to find some joy. What else? Love with me at the center versus love with God and others at the center. So that goes to the powerful lesson that were taught by Jesus when he says that you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's okay, listen, it's okay for me to be at the center as long as I draw a lot of other people into the center with me. Ubuntu, I am because we are. I think the, the boy that could have won, the biggest, strongest, fastest boy, was okay with being at the center, but he was not okay with being at the center alone. You see, we all want to find the center of the heart of God. We want to find the center of our purpose. We want to find the center of the reality of why he placed us on this planet at this point in history. But it's a big, big mistake to find that center and to start hanging out in that center by ourselves. He has a corporate role for us. He has a community role for us. Our impact can be so much more if we function inside the spirit of the kingdom of God, which is a spirit of I am because we are. So I'm Jeff Deal. That's okay. It's okay for me to know that I'm a son of God. It's okay for me to know that I have talent, that I have treasure that I have time that I can give to the kingdom it's okay for me to know that I'm valuable and important in the kingdom it's okay for me to know that God has purpose for me to do an impactful work in this world at this point in history it's okay for me to know that he has given me the authority and the anointing to speak his words it's okay for me to know that but it's not okay for me to see all of that and know it and understand it and to function then as an individual using all of that to try to accomplish some goal. It's only okay for me to be an I am as long as I bring you in and you allow me into your life and we are together together.
while we are I am individually. And if we get there, I think we're on our way. We're not completely there, but I think we're on our way. When we get there, as we move toward that, then what you see is you see a genuineness that that you don't see everywhere, even out in the religious community. And people really do begin to love and trust each other. And trust is a huge word because trust has been violated so often and so egregiously on so many fronts in our world today. And sadly enough, it's been violated inside the church way too often. We have to be able to trust each other if we're going to be community that says, Ubuntu, I am, because we are. So, the needs are not going to go away. The times are probably not going to get better. We've got to dig in. I think we should declare all the time, I'm a child of the kingdom of God. I'm a child of the kingdom of God. I get asked sometimes about government and politics and do you think God's doing this and you think or you think God put this person in place or you think and my answer to that is I have no idea. And and honestly intend to spend this much time trying to figure it out. Because my faith is not in government, my faith is not in any political figures, my faith is not in the world system. Do I vote? Yes. Uh, do, do I, am I glad to live in a democracy? Yes. Do I love the fact that I'm American? Yes. All of that. All of the above. But where is my faith? My faith is in Him. My faith is in the kingdom of God. And my footsteps are taking me on a journey through the kingdom of God. And if I put my faith anywhere else, I'm going to get knocked over at some point in time. I'm going to get disappointed and frustrated and disillusioned. But my faith is in Him. We had better know that there are two kingdoms. And we'd better be ready, strong enough, bold enough, courageous enough to declare our allegiance to whichever kingdom we plan to live in. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. As for me and this house, we will dwell in the kingdom of God. Father, I just um, feel humbled that you presented me and us with the opportunity to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, to move into your kingdom, to live there and move there and breathe there and have our being there, to experience the fullness of all that you have for us day by day. It's just a humbling privilege. And so I thank you for the reminder today that there are two kingdoms and the contrast is stark. We have the opportunity to choose which one we'll live in. And I thank you that 
nearly everybody, if not everybody in this room, is choosing your kingdom. And I thank you for community that we can dwell in so that we don't have to feel alone, so that we don't have to walk it out by ourselves. I thank you that I am because we are. We are sons and daughters in your kingdom. We are the community known as the way. And I thank you for Jesus who is the way, the truth, the life, and that we can come into your heart through him. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen.